uh, with his own show on Netflix and his own YouTube channel and, and, and entertaining and so many ways. But what's neat is that what many of you may not know is that Dale Brisby loves Jesus Christ. And like First Peter said, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, each and every one of us. And today we're honored to have Dale Brisby come and be a royal priest today to share the love of Jesus Christ. One other announcement I forgot to make, and that is next Sunday is potluck. All right, potluck. And that means all of us bring something, all right, for lunch because the Chandler family, they've got a full commitment next weekend and won't be here cooking lunch next Sunday. So it's back to the regular first Sunday potluck lunch. So come ready to eat. If y'all will, please help me welcome Dale Brisby. Thank you, sir. I think, is this working? Is that work? Can y'all hear me? It's, it's on. Yes, sir. I think it's working. Um, I have uh, been studying for a little while. Um, I want to talk about a certain thing. Well, I am uh, Dale Brisby. I'm the world's greatest bull rider. Um... <laughs> The buckle here says it. I've got my face on my shirt, not once, but twice. That way, since I'm always in the front, even the people behind me know that Dale Brisby is first and the best everybody else is going to be is second. So, champion this year. I don't know if y'all can read that. So, um, which brings me to what I'd like to talk about. There is one vice which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else. The more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Unchastity, anger, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is from, uh, these are quotes from um, a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He's since passed. It's old. And this, these quotes are from his chapter called The Greatest Sin. And I know that we're taught that all sins are equal, but I think certain sins have different consequences at times, and certain sins can lead to other sins. The sin I'm talking about and the sin that C.S. Lewis is talking about is pride. And the virtue opposite is humility. And that's something I've been studying for a time now. And um, it's because I have a whole lot of it. Um, pride is what made the devil the devil. Prior to be called Satan, he was actually an angel. Before man existed... This was the first sin committed. Prior to be called, be, being called the devil, he was called Lucifer, and he was a beautiful angel. And Isaiah 14, verses 13 to 15, he, uh, Lucifer says, I will make myself like the Most High. In Ezekiel 28, it says, Your heart was proud because of your beauty, referring to his new name, Satan. He took a third of the angels with him. 
Ironically, that's the same sin he used to cause Adam and Eve to fall. In Genesis 3, 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You won't need God. So pride's what made the devil the devil, and then pride's what the devil used to cause all of us to be in the predicament that we are. Pride is essentially competitive. So all pride is competitive. Not all competition is pride. I don't believe that it's, that it's a sin for the Throckmorton Greyhounds to compete Friday night in a football game against whomever. However, all pride is competitive. So there can be pride associated with that game. Um, pride being competitive is something C.S. Lewis says. The other thing he says, the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Those two facts are what opened my eyes to how much I had. I considered myself a competitive person and thought that was a good thing. And at times maybe it is. And at times it can be noble, but most of the time, the way that we use that, calling ourselves competitive, I think it can be um, used in a prideful way. The other thing, the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. And I found myself picking people in my life that are proud. And a humble person, a truly humble person will not be as irritated with that prideful person because they're not in competition with them. They've removed themselves from the competition. If you yourself are pride, proud, and you come in contact with another proud person, y'all's pride is in conflict. Pride means enmity. So I was challenged by these two statements, and that's why I want to give them to you guys. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of it than the next person. C.S. Lewis talks about how some people might write it off as greed. Somebody that makes, let's say, five million a year right now. Especially in Throckmorton. That's going to give you everything you need. What would drive that person to try to make ten million a year? Well, it's not greed because that money is going to buy them everything they need. It would be pride because there's somebody out there with more. And when there's somebody out there with more, that person, to the proud person, is their enemy. It's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. The more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. This one really got me. I'm going to read this quote from the book, and then I'm going to get into the more important book. Um, this is on page 125. He this is what C.S. Lewis says. Pride can often be used to beat down the simpler vices. Teachers, in fact, appeal to a boy's pride, or as they call it, self-respect, to make him behave decently. Many a man has overcome cowardice or lust or ill-tempered by learning to think that they are beneath his dignity, that is, by pride. The devil laughs. He is perfectly content to see you becoming chaste and braved and self-controlled, provided all the time he is setting up in you the dictatorship of pride. Just as he would be quite content to see your chill blains cured if he were allowed in return to give you cancer, spiritual cancer. So he's fine seeing your arthritis go away if it means he can give you cancer. He's fine seeing you be chaste and uh, sober and 
uh, brave if he can set up you in you the dictatorship of pride, meaning you can be proud of going to church every Sunday and tithing more than 10% and not cussing and not drinking and being chased like all the but if pride is in you you may be spiritually cancerous um, compared to even those people that are doing all of those things and I think that's where there are going to be people in heaven where we're like man this person is a celebrity I thought I had it right that one that one really scared me uh, Andrew Murray says is no pride so dangerous because none so subtle and insidious as the pride of holiness I'm going to get into a few scriptures. I wrote them down. That's why there's so many pages, so I don't have to flip through the Bible. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. My dad never told me growing up that he was proud of me. And before I read this book, that was, he was the only person that I'd, said, that I'd heard say that. A lot of parents usually say they're proud of their son. And I, it was hard. He said, but he said... He would quote that verse, God opposes the proud. And C.S. Lewis says that sometimes in our English language, we'll, we'll mix that up. And sometimes when a parent may say they're proud of their child, what they really mean is they have a warm-hearted admiration for. And in the English language, sometimes we've used pride instead of saying something like, I love you and I love to see you succeed. But we can sometimes turn it into the way the Bible defines pride, not only with, um, with our kids, but maybe with, uh, again, all those competitive moments that we could have with our, um, our spouse, our siblings, random friends, people in traffic, guys that want to be, get out in front. Um, and then you don't want to pull over to use the bathroom because you've now beat all these cars behind you. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, those are all moments where our pride comes out. Anytime we're trying, where we insist on winning an argument. We don't even remember what we're arguing about. We might be the ones that are wrong, but we're going to keep going because out of that competitive, prideful feeling in our heart, we've got to win this argument. Um, James 4, 13, just a couple of verses later. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So even the way that we talk about tomorrow, um, I think it's one of the book, Derek Prince says that um, pride is, is trying to be independent of God. So I'm going to do these things. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm very careful, after reading this verse again and again, I've been very careful with the way I talk around my business and my interns, I think, get annoyed at how often I say, Lord willing. Like, hey, are you guys going to, um, are you going to work tomorrow? Lord willing. If you, are you guys going to the NFR this year? Well, Lord willing, our plan is to. And out of my fear of being boastful in my plans, I, I just have to attach Lord willing, if the Lord wills. Go back to 410. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So, growing close to God can make you humble. Also, the Scripture calls us to humble ourselves. In Proverbs it says to clothe yourselves with humility. Well, when you clothe yourself, you put on the clothes. So, there are moments throughout every single day when you are able to humble yourself. It's not necessarily something you just pray for and hope that, the God, that, that God answers your prayer of, Lord, make me humble. Humbling yourself is something we're called to do. So it's something, even when you don't want to, lose that argument. We need to humble ourselves. And then that brings me to maybe the, the biggest scripture for me on pride the opposite of pride is humility. We've said that. And these two, they come together in this verse where Jesus says uh, in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Um, that's terrifying for me because of I know all the moments where I have tried to exalt myself, you know, constantly, every single day. And I think it shows up in... Uh, maybe my vanity, um, which C.S. Lewis says is a, a little bit more innocent version of pride. It's still pride, but at least in that form, you still care what other people think. Where there's a black diabolical pride that you th you're so above everyone that you don't even care what they think. And the problem when you get to that level of pride is you can, so long as you're looking down on everyone and everything, you can never look up. And it's those people that um, he thinks Christ might be referring to when he said, uh, depart from me, I never knew you. And he says, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all this in your name? But they did it for those prideful reasons rather than because they were called to. Um, there's a moment in Matthew 20, <clears throat> James and John sent their mom to Jesus. Maybe, we're, I'm not sure why, they might have been, they might have known the answer deep down, they might have thought it would have been better received from her, but they essentially, she asked, can they be at your right and your left hand in heaven? And Jesus' response is, uh, essentially, they were trying to be great in the kingdom of heaven, which sounds like a pretty cool ask. We all want to be great down here, much less in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus responds, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Andrew Murray who was even before C.S. Lewis's time, wrote a book called Humility, and he says, the holiest will be the humblest. So James and John were not necessarily humble in that instance. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 9. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Pride. But in humility, the opposite of that, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And here's the other part. Therefore, he did that. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So, Jesus knew 23.12 was going to come to fruition. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So pride is what made Satan Satan. Literally, that's what sent him to hell. Pride is what caused the fall of man. The opposite of pride is humility, and that's what made Jesus so great. Humility is what sent Jesus to the cross. And that's why he is exalted. So his humility exalted. The devil tried to exalt himself, and he was humbled. Jesus humbled himself, and God exalted him. So the ways, reading up, the ways to, that, that uh, we have to identify pride in our lives. Competitiveness. I have tried to, since I've started reading this and read that quote, each time that I feel myself getting competitive, wherever it is, um, with my family, with uh, work, um, in, in traffic, as a young church starting up, you guys are growing, and there will be times when people are like, you guys are doing good. Pleasure in being praised is not pride, but that could be taken to pride if you carry it too far. You guys are doing good. You guys are growing. Look at these numbers. Man, we're, we've got more than the Baptist church. We've got more now than so-and-so. Oh, we've got to keep this up. And you could see how that would go down a trail of pride, and it would kind of ruin the atmosphere that started this, which I can feel, and I think all you can feel, is humility, which is what made Jesus so great. So that's what we've got to continue to stay in. And, and, and to be honest, that might be where, this might be the number Jesus wants you to stay in. Whatever it is, you know, it may not be that you turn into a mega church. You know, it may be that Throckmorton, Texas, there's a revival started on 58 people. And, and that's Jesus' plan. Whatever that is, I'm sure you guys will be ready for it. So the competitiveness, anger towards pride. So anytime you get frustrated at a prideful person, I've got in my head the most prideful person I know. And I've got in my head the most humble person I know. And they are best friends also. If they were both proud, they wouldn't be able to get along so well. But my humble friend doesn't put himself in that competition, so he's able to be with the proud friend. The proud friend senses that this person is not at competition with him, so he's able to hang out with him. If they were both proud, maybe they could be friends, but man, they would probably argue a lot. They would probably talk bad about each other behind each other's back. Another way to identify pride is if you get your feelings hurt. 
This one really blew my mind. Timothy Keller um, recently passed. He uh, wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, A Path to True Christian Joy. It's only 44 pages. Took me not very long, like 19 hours to read it. So um, he references 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 4, verse 7. The church in Corinth was getting started, and Paul was talking, writing this letter to them, hence the name, Corinthians. Um, you guys already knew that. Um, but right there he's talking, they were arguing in the church. Some people had been um, discipled by Paul. Some people had been discipled by uh, Cephas. Some people had been dis discipled by Apollos. And they were each name-dropping and saying, I should be the leader because I was, I was discipled by Paul. I should be the leader because I was discipled by Apollos. And they were, they were arguing. And so he was addressing this argument. And he said, uh, do not boast in men. He said, I don't care what you think about me. He's talking to the people that are even bragging about him. I don't care what you think. And I think everybody would agree. If you go to a therapist today, they're going to tell you, don't worry about what the world thinks. But one thing Paul says that that therapist is not going to tell you, he takes it one step further. He says, I don't even care what I think. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. I only care what the Lord thinks. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Paul calls himself in Timothy the chief of sinners. How can, he be the, how can he have a clear conscience and be the chief of sinners? He is arguably one of the most influential people in the entire world. He wrote most of the New Testament. It's Paul. And he calls himself the chief of sinners, but his conscience is clear. How is, is that? He references uh, Romans 8.1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So when you come to Christ... You and God are good. You don't have to earn that salvation. So that's how Paul is, is, is good. He and God are good. It's kind of like whenever you, uh, if you were to go to, I went to Texas A&M, whoop. I know a lot of people went to maybe tech around here, but if I were to show up at freshman orientation and they were to hand me my diploma. All right, here's your diploma. Nobody can take it away from you. Now go to class. It doesn't work like that in the world. It would be like if I showed up at the Ray Brown Ranch to work, and my first day is like, all right, here's your first year's check. Now go to work. It doesn't work like that here in the world. But with salvation, it does. When you come to Christ, you and Christ are good. Now you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And from that point on, it doesn't matter what people think. It also doesn't matter what you think. Timothy Keller addresses in that book um, the reason why we are worried about what those people think is because of our ego. And an ego is like a balloon. It can be deflated or inflated. It can, it can be three things. It can be deflated, which is low self-esteem, no ego. It could be inflated, which is full of uh, air, puffed up, because in this passage in 1 Corinthians, that Paul uses a word for pride that's only used in Corinthians. Only Paul uses like once or twice. And it's puffed up. So this 
Our ego can be deflated. It can be inflated, which would be proud. And it can be easily popped. So if your identity, um, Tucker Brown, is wrapped up in your knowledge of maybe seed stock type stuff, if someone were to criticize you on that and it were to bother you really, really bad, that might be evidence, or me with bull riding, social media, that might be evidence your identity is wrapped up in that and it would deflate your ego, your balloon. You would be deflated after that. You would be, your feelings would be hurt. Timothy Keller says, there's no such thing as hurting your feelings. There's only hurting your ego. So the third thing is being filled up if you were to fill that balloon with air, with uh, let's say sand, it's not so easily popped. To be filled up, the only thing to fill a balloon up would be, would be in this scenario is Christ. So if we're filled up with Christ, now all of a sudden Tucker finds his identity in Christ, and if someone makes fun of his knowledge of seed stock, which is probably competitive to everyone in the country, but if someone were to make fun of it, it's not going to bother you. That's not where your identity is tied up. So we can find evidence of pride in the things that hurt our feelings. Um, with, with me being a cowboy or a, um, a bronc rider. You know, I've, I've spent so much of my life being passionate about bronc riding and teaching young people about it. And if those young people were to criticize me over something... My feelings would be hurt for days and days and days and days. And that is evidence that my identity is wrapped up in that and not in Christ. And the more it's wrapped up in Christ and not whatever thing is going on in your life, the less it's going to hurt your feelings. Um, if you think you are humble, that's another way to identify pride. Even the guy that is often... I'll get to that later. Um... <laughs> Seeking independence. So, Derek Prince. We all see those billboards of what the lottery is up to and how much money is on the line. And we begin to think of the things we would do. And sometimes it's a fun game to play. What would be what, whatever you... But sometimes... We get in the daily struggle of finances, and we might take that game a little too far. Our desire, I think our desire, Matt Chandler explained this a little better at one time, but our desire to want to win that or have that much money or have those things is our desire to be independent. And then we won't need anything. Then we won't have... We, we can set up the rest of our life. We can be comfortable the rest of our life. We won't need to depend on, for instance, God. And that's why Derek Prince, I mentioned earlier, says that pride is, being, is, is, is seeking to be independent of God. Um, Second Corinthians 12 verses 7 through 9. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the re revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that's Paul. He's doing it all. He's doing all the things. He's devoted his life to Christ. But he's got a thorn in his flesh. It's only speculation what that thorn is. Um, Paul knows about it. And he pleads that God remove this thorn, whatever is in our life. Maybe it is the go back to the finances. We, we're just, we just can't get ahead. Maybe it's something, a, a sin of the flesh, like something that is just, maybe it's food. Maybe it's sexual immorality. Whatever it is, there's just a thorn in our flesh. Paul sees that as something to keep him, whole, keep him humble so that he stays dependent on God. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon you. <clears throat> Another way to identify pride in our lives it kind of goes back to the competitiveness, but rejoicing at someone failing. Another one would be not fearing God. In, in, if you read Proverbs and Psalms, every other verse, is, it seems like, is talking about fearing God. And to, 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 constant, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Ways to make yourself humble. We referenced earlier to Matthew 20. Becoming a servant and a slave. So humility, we've, we, uh, ways to identify the pride in our lives. Now we're talking about ways to um, make yourself humble. Become a servant and a slave. Literally... If you think about like what a slave and a servant do for people, that is what we're, that's what Jesus said for us to do. If you want to be labeled great in the kingdom of heaven, whether it's to your spouse, to your children, to your parents, siblings, now let's step even out of the family. That's a lot right there. Those are the people you spend the most time with. And as annoying as it might be to serve your brother, as annoying as it might be to serve your spouse, your parents, your kids, whatever it may be, that's what we're called to do. Now step out. Now you go to work. You love those people even less. And Jesus calls you to serve and to be a servant, to be a slave to those people. If you're the boss, yes, on paper, you get to boss them around. But maybe you clean the toilets this week. That's what Jesus is talking about. Matthew 18.4 Humble yourself like this child... So what's a child? Just like little baby. What's your baby's name, Tucker? I know Rayleigh and Brooklyn. Rayleigh and Brooklyn. Just like Brooklyn. Brooklyn is completely dependent on her parents. She can't live without them. Not for, I mean, an hour would be too long. That's how we're called to be with God. Humble yourselves like this child. Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11, it talks about the, the wedding feast and taking the humble seat. 
So imagine going to a wedding and you kind of know this person. You kind of know. And you sit right where the best man sits. What Jesus says in this analogy is pick the seat of humility because it'd be better for that bride and groom to say, hey, hey, John, come back, come up here, come visit with us. It's better to be in that scenario than to say, hey, John, we were in college together, all right? I don't like you that much. Go to the back. Which one, which one of those is a better situation to be in? It's, it's better to humble yourself and God's going to exalt you rather than exalt yourself and God humbles you. Accept with gratitude everything that God allows from, this is a quote from Andrew Murray. Accept with gratitude everything that God allows from within or without, from friend or enemy, in nature or in grace, to remind you of your need of humbling and to help you to it. Let me cut out the middle to help read it again. Accept with gratitude everything that God allows to remind you of your need of humbling and to help you to it. Humility is so important. It is so important. We should be grateful for anything that happens in our lives that reminds us of our need to, of humbling or brings us to it. So you hear a lot of people like, you gotta, you're going to fail, and you've got to be grateful for your failures. And most people mean because you can learn from them, and you can go on winning. Man, I failed time and time again. I didn't make my high school basketball team. Michael Jordan doesn't talk like a hick, but. But you hear that failure being important on his road to success. Andrew Murray is saying, you need to be grateful for your failure because it brings you to humility where you need to stay. Water always fills the lowest places. The lower, the emptier a man lies before God, the speedier and fuller will be the inflow of the divine glory. The lower you are, whether it's just day to day or after one of these instances, you got fired from your job, the financial whatever that happened, you go bankrupt, um, something happens with your family, a death in the family, whatever unfortunate circumstance that brings you low, we should thank God for it because that's where we need to be before God. May God teach us that to believe that to believe that to be humble, to be nothing in his presence is the highest attainment and the fullest blessing of the Christian life. This one might be the most important line. We can never have more true faith than we have true humility. Pride renders faith impossible. So this is why I um, have had such a hard time with this. Because it's, it's terrifying. We can never have more true faith than we have true humility. So the more humility we have, the more faith is possible. Humility is simply the disposition which prepares the soul for living on trust. So, this is what I've been studying for the last year and a half. B. 
because I've realized how proud I am, and it, and it scares me. And I believe that pride, that humility, is um, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The devil tried to hum, tried to exalt himself, and God humbled him, as humble as you can go. Jesus humbled himself, and God exalted him as high as he can go. And I think we're all somewhere in the middle. And the direction we need to go is down. And I mean that in the most holy way possible. So even when we talk about ourselves and call ourselves nothing repetitively, sometimes that means we're self-absorbed. Martin Luther said... uh, how did the quote go? That the humble person doesn't necessarily think less of themselves. They think of themselves less. And C.S. Lewis says, when you do meet a truly humble person, you probably, it won't be like the greasy, swarmy person who calls himself nobody. If you do dislike him, it will be because of how easily he seems to enjoy life. It'll be because he wasn't thinking of himself at all. That will be the the, the humble person. And the reason why Timothy Keller calls his book The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, Path to True Christian Joy, is because it's like a drink of cool water for a man in the desert when you get close to that humility. Because you take off all the fancy dress and the the look at me and aren't I a good boy? Which is like the battle of vanity that at least I know I battle with. You know, when you ride into a Brandon pen, man, I hope I rope good today so they think I'm a cool cowboy. When you get dressed, I want to look good for all these people. When you can put that away and experience true humility, that's when you ha- you're liberated from that, from that pride and you experience true Christian joy. But we can never have more f- true faith than we have true humility. So I'm just going to wrap it up in a word of prayer and then uh, give it back over to you guys for the um, one more worship song, I think. Dearly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, your son, Jesus Christ, and sending him here to live a humble life that resulted in uh, his death, burial, and resurrection, giving us a path to you, Lord. We pray that we have humble hearts to realize that we cannot live independent of you and to realize that we need you. And I pray that we get there as soon as we can, Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, be with this country, be with its leaders, be with this church and its growth and the path that you have set out before it. It's in your son Jesus Christ's precious name we pray, amen.